What's up, guys? I'm your lead host, Zach, and on this episode, we're here to talk about the recap of the past Super Bowl. We're also going to talk about each team and what's what we expect from them moving forward. Now let me introduce you to the rest of the crew. What's up, guys? It's Connor. You know me as the co-host with the most, and you can lock that. Hey, y'all. It's Nate. I'm a big NFL, college, and fantasy football guy. All right, guys. So as everybody knows, we just watched the Super Bowl 54 this weekend, and it was an interesting game. Nonetheless, Uh, I personally did not see this comeback happening. Obviously, originally I picked the 49ers to win, so I expected them to win. And then once they got up by 10 points with seven minutes left, I thought it was all but over. But Mahomes and the Chiefs had another one of their playoff comeback specials in the Super Bowl. And so we're not really going to recap the whole game, so to say, but we're just going to take into account the whole weekend and the whole week leading up to this. And we're going to talk about the winners and losers of Super Bowl 54, aside from just the fact that that it was the Chiefs and 49ers. So I'll start off here with the MVP, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, what can like... This guy's having an unbelievable start to his career. He's already in his second season of starting, got a Super Bowl win and an MVP award. So he's like the number one winner for sure. Although I don't think he deserved the MVP award. What do you guys think? Connor, I'll start with you. Do you think Mahomes was deserving of the MVP? Uh, I definitely think that there were candidates that were more deserving than him. I don't think he was as undeserving as you thought he was. Cause I know we were talking about this last night mm-hmm. um, because like he did play really poorly at the beginning of the game. I mean, really for the first two and a half quarters, he played really bad. I mean, and also one of those interceptions, like it was kind of the first interception was 100% his fault. Like no question. I don't know why he threw that, but the second interception, I'd kind of put the blame like, maybe 30 percent 35 percent on Mahomes because like he did throw it behind Tyreek Hill but it did hit Tyreek Hill in the hands so it's like mm-hmm. you gotta catch that so I put that second interception more on Hill than on Mahomes but you know he he didn't look good but towards the end of the game it was so you know he he was making a lot of plays on his own like I think he made up for you know he was still under pressure I mean the 49ers did a tremendous job of getting pressure on him with only four rushers and he still had to scramble out and make plays. And he made that big throw to Tyree kill. So um, I think he, he played a great, he played a great end of the game and he was probably the main reason why they made the comeback. But given that also you have to take into account his poor first, like, you know, 65% of the game, which is not good. So in my opinion, um, I think either Chris Jones or Damian Williams should have gotten the MVP instead. Cause the thing about Chris Jones, like I know you, Zach, you and Eric were talking about that. You think Chris Jones should have won the MVP. Mm-hmm. And I like, I knew that I thought he was pretty deserving, but I knew he wouldn't because yeah. like yeah. he was doing a lot of stuff that like it stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, mm-hmm. you know, cause he didn't get any sacks or anything, but he was getting a lot of pressure and he was getting a lot of tipped passes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those don't really kind of show up on the stat sheet. So I thought Damian Williams was going to get the MVP because, you know, he he had that touchdown catch and he had that big touchdown run at the end to seal it. And he 
you know, he had over 100 yards rushing, which I don't think anybody thought he was going to have against the 49ers defense. So, yeah, I think Damian Williams was probably the most deserving in my mind for the MVP. I'm I'm kind of with Connor here. I think uh, personally, I would have voted Damian Williams. That's who I was saying um, last night after watching the game. I think he did more all game. He had 6.1 yards of carry. 100 yards, uh, two total touchdowns, and I, I, I think Mahomes like definitely came in clutch down the stretch, made some plays that they needed to um, go ahead at the end of the game there, which definitely shouldn't be overlooked. Like he, not that he was undeserving of it. Like they're two very good candidates, but I think uh, Williams was definitely the best player for the Chiefs offensively last night, and um, I would have given the edge to him, but. Obviously, you know how it's MVP is usually a quarterback's award, anyways. So um, I don't think it was really, you know, um, unexpected. I guess. Yeah. Unless and, you get like a defensive touchdown, then like you know you're not gonna right. Not like what Von Miller did in Super Bowl Fifty, where he oh got yeah like, he got like a touchdown plus like a few sacks. Like that's the only way someone in quarterback's gonna win. And he was helped too that that was a defensive game too because Denver didn't. Right. I don't think they even put up more than twenty points in that. I think it was like seventeen. So it was, yeah, it was it was twenty four. It was yeah, it was like okay. Well, it was twenty four total, but like seventeen on offense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that that made it pretty easy to be a defensive guy. I, I know it's it's going to be hard for a defensive guy to win, but like Connor said, my immediate thought after the game not looking at the box scores or not looking at the stats or anything, just from my eye test, I would have voted Chris Jones just because I think he had the greatest impact on the game. Obviously, Mahomes, to me, he did have a great end of the game, but he had those two interceptions, and he also had two fumbles that he was fortunate to get back in his possession, one of them being going out of bounds. The other, he recovered. It was a Bosa strip sack. And just the way he was carrying the ball when he was running, I mean, I I thought for sure he was going to get another fumble at another point in time. He just carries the ball so loosey-goosey. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's that was something concerning of Mahomes, and Eric agreed with me that that was the one characteristic that he needs to change going forward. But And then when you look at the rest of the offensive playmakers, the reason why I'm hesitant to say Damian Williams is just because he was his yards per carry, kind of like Mahomes in the first three quarters. It wasn't great. And then in that fourth quarter, he had those two touchdowns that and then that big run that boosted his stats. So it's hard for me to distinguish an offensive playmaker that was far and above better than anybody else, because Tyree Kill also had 100 yards that, you know, huge third and 15 play. Sammy Watkins had almost 100 yards with, I think, the most catches in the game. So it was just too many playmakers to distinguish between. So that's why I think Mahomes got it, because if Tyreek Hill had had, you know, a touchdown and maybe 40 more yards, he would have got it. Same thing with Williams. But because it was so evenly distributed, that's why Mahomes ended up getting it. But I will say Mahomes as the Super Bowl MVP now has the worst QBR of any Super Bowl MVP. So 
Uh, I thought you were going to say the worst QBR of any quarterback. I was like, I'm pretty sure Ben Roethlisberger had a worse QBR. In yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, no. As, as winning the MVP out of okay. the quarterbacks that have won MVP, he has the lowest QBR. So. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, Mahomes, obviously, with that being said, though, he got the ring. Obviously, he's going to show up on our on our winner's page here. And I'll just go left to right here, and so we'll switch gears and talk about the Hall of Fame now. So one of the bigger surprises to me was Edger and James getting elected to the Hall of Fame. And to, to me, this came as quite of a surprise because, to be honest, out of all the, I think it was 14 candidates or 15 uh, on the list, he would have been in the bottom two-thirds probably on my ballot. So it was interesting to see him make it, but... Obviously, being an underdog to make the Hall of Fame here, you got to be on the winners list because we all know we all knew that Palomalu was going to make it. The rest of them, there was some uncertainty, but obviously they had big support. So, but I think James had the least support coming into this of them all. So, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that was he in your ballots? Uh, was he in your top five? As what I guess I want to know. So, Connor. I'll start with you. Do you think he was deserving enough for this? I mean, I wouldn't say he was in my top five, but he was definitely close enough to my top five to where I think, like, like you know, he should have been in. Because I think my top five, like, obviously, Palomalu. Palomalu, Isaac Bruce, and um, who was the other one? Um, <clears throat> not Hutchinson, but... Danica? Um, Atwater. Sully? Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Atwater. He made yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Atwater, Bruce, and Palomalu were like the three that I was like, these guys should, like should make it. Like Bruce, is, Bruce and Atwater have like been there so many times in the finals and haven't made it yet. And I'm like, they need to get in. And then obviously Palomalu, like you know, he was gonna get in no matter mm-hmm. what. Yeah. So, um, because then after that, for me, like the next kind of I'd say four spots, like between four and eight, were really um, up in the air for me when it kind of like you know i guess uncertain because i would have had honestly i'm shocked he didn't make the finals i would have had patrick willis in there somewhere had he made the finals i was very very surprised when i found out that willis was excluded from the finals i was like wow that i know he didn't play a long time but you know he played for like seven seasons and all seven seasons he was a pro bowler like, he was a dominant, dominant player. I mean, kind of like Tony Vaselli, right? You know, he only played for, like, but the, six seasons, but he was yeah, so dominant. Well, see, the thing with Vaselli is, though, I mean, he obviously retired from injuries in the early 2000s, and he just started making it to this Final 15, like, in 2014. So it took right. him, like, more than 10 years to make it to this far in the voting process. Right. So uh, it was like, you know, my, but like that four, that, you know, four through eight for me was kind of between like, like the three offensive linemen, Baselli, Fanica, and Hutchinson were all there for me. Like, you know, four or five, mm-hmm. six. And then like seven and eight would be, I was kind of torn between Reggie Wayne and Edron James. Because the thing about Edron James, I think a lot of people don't think about him, is that he also didn't play. He only played 10 full seasons in the league. And to have, you know, almost 13, like 12, I think his stats here, 12,246 rushing yards for in 10 seasons. I mean, that's averaging over a thousand yards every year on the ground, which there's not a whole lot of running backs in the league that can say that. So, and also the fact that he led the league in rushing his first two seasons, like 
one season he even rushed for 17,000 yards in a season. 17,000? So, yeah, so, I mean, 1,700. <laughs> okay. 1, <laughs> yeah, you know, playing on rookie on Madden, you know, 17,000 rushing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's doable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 1,700 rushing yards, I mean, that's insane for someone rushing the ball. So I think he's just a very underestimated player, I think. And, you know, you'd have to really look closely at him to – I guess appreciate what he did and mm-hmm. the fact what, what he did for that Colts offense, you know, the Colts never won because their defense was horrible, like around the, that time. But I don't think the Colts would have been the same without him. Like Peyton Manning was really good, but Edger and James was the one who took them to that next level that, okay, now we don't just have to focus on Peyton Manning. We have to focus on Edger and James too. He added that other element. So um, definitely like, I don't, think i don't know if he should have gotten in this time i definitely think he deserves to be a hall of famer but i will say i don't think he deserved to get in this time maybe like next time or the time mm-hmm. after that and that spot should have gone to like baselli or reggie wayne would be my saying or fanica like one of those three yeah okay so nate what do you what do you think on this um i won't go too long just because um i agree with most of the stuff that connor said i think he definitely is kind of underappreciated when you look at his stats versus how he's talked about um, kind of in like, you know, when you mentioned like great running backs from the past uh, couple of decades, he's not usually at the top of the list. Like he's kind of um, usually overshadowed by some other guys. So I think he's definitely um, like a little bit underrated in that regards. I personally would have had him on my ballot for this round of voting um, I would have definitely had somebody like a Boselli, Fanica, um, you know, one of those, maybe like a John Lynch, someone who's been like kind of waiting a little bit more. I uh, would have had them. I would like to see one of them get in on this uh, round. I think he'll definitely, he definitely deserved to get in. I think he would have in the next couple of years anyways. Um, but I personally would have had him in this uh, round of voting. But what I will say on this is now that he's in, I think Fred Taylor definitely needs to at least be a finalist in the next um, one or two rounds of voting because uh, if you, I looked up um, pro football reference and uh, Fred Taylor is 17th in career rushing yards and Edron James is 13th and everybody else in between there is already uh, in the hall. So it's, I think now that he's been voted in, I think the conversation kind of needs to go to Fred Taylor and getting him his, our respect finally because I think he's also in that category as well he had um just under 12,000 career yards which is crazy and I think he did it on a Jags team that was not a bad offense but they definitely didn't have Peyton Manning at quarterback Marvin Harrison um, out of their wide receivers so I think he did um I think he was just as good as a a running back as anybody in the league during that time span he needs to definitely get um start to get his due so um yeah that's kind of what i've got to say on that you get a clap for me for that nate (laughs) 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 yeah i liked it um yeah i'll I'll add some some more quick of my thoughts here with the whole hall of fame thing because uh, another guy that we didn't mention but i also i really thought uh butler was going to make the hall of fame that was uh he was in my top five as was uh atwater and Paul Mahalo were the ones I got right. The other two I didn't get right. But 
Yeah, I mean, I know he's obviously deserving of this, but I just thought with this group of guys, I feel like there was I, I wouldn't have put him in my ballot like I did. So that's why I put him here as the winners. But I'll move on now to this next picture here. And Nate added this one in, so I'll let him <laughs> describe this. But uh, somebody somebody rode the bench and got a ring, so I'll let Nate talk <laughs> about it. All right. Um, man, uh, check down Chad Henney got his uh, Super Bowl <laughs> ring um, as a member of the Chiefs. Um, if you're obviously if you're Jag fan listening, you know he was uh, the starting quarterback for a little bit before Blake Bortles came in, and then he was the backup for um, a few years in Jacksonville. Um, definitely not a great quarterback by any means, uh, but obviously not a bad quarterback. He's been in that around the league for like what is it like 11 or 12 years now. So yeah. uh, congrats to my man Chad on uh, getting <laughs> the ring. Um, <laughs> just thought that'd be a funny thing to throw in there because. Um, kind of one of the more unexpected guys to see Super Bowl champion next to their name for sure. Yes, I'll say that for yeah, sure. So. <laughs> um and and another a little piece of trivia here is the the 2017 season in which the Jags made the AFC Championship game in the preseason nobody knew who was going to win the starting job. It was a true competition between him and Bortles. That's, right. That's how bad Bortles was doing. I don't think Chad was doing great, but I guess like he was doing better than Bortles was, so he would, there was serious consideration that he would have been the starter that season. Uh, Bortles didn't have a great season, but he definitely did better than I think Chad would have done. But yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> backup quarterbacks, you know, they they still get the ring for being there. But I'll say this: if the Chiefs had needed him to come in the game, they certainly would not have won the Super Bowl. <laughs> no. Um, so now we'll move on down here to the bottom and I've got Andy Reed here getting the Gatorade shower because to me, this is his signature moment finally in his career after all those NFC championships with the Eagles losing the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots, the struggles losing early in the playoffs in Kansas city. He was the most accomplished coach who had not won a Super Bowl until yesterday so obviously you got to give the man his credit here for finally getting the Super Bowl win. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. We're going to talk about that in a little bit later, but he's truly a great coach. And now finally that he's got that ring, I think the level of respect for Andy Reid across the league goes up even more now. So I think this is kind of like a Hall of Fame type of clinching win for him, no matter what he continues to do. So. What do you guys think uh, on Andy Reid? Yeah, I mean, I think you put it best that <clears throat> this win pretty much punches his ticket to the Hall of Fame. I mean, there was all these, all this talk about like, oh, well, is he a Hall of Fame head coach? He's won a lot of games, but he's never won the big game. Well, now you no longer have that argument that he's never won the big game. He finally won it. This clears the path for Andy Reid to go into the Hall of Fame. You know, whatever, whenever down the road he retires which, you know, who knows, might be this season. But um, whenever he goes and retires five years later, this opens the door for him to the Hall of Fame. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's just, I mean, I'm happy for him. I've grown up watching him as much as I've, you know, I'm not really a fan of the Eagles, but, you know, he was always there. He was that one head coach that, you know, when you'd be going through the head coaching carousel, like, oh, like, who's coaching Cleveland now? Who's coaching you know, mm -hmm. the Bills now, like all these teams that always kept switching head coaches, 
you know, Andy Reid was always there with Philadelphia and then obviously now with KC. So, I mean, it was crazy to think, like, I didn't realize how many games he had won. You know, he'd won like 221 before the Super Bowl, 222 now. And now he hadn't won a Super Bowl yet. And that was that many wins. I mean, it's crazy. So uh, nothing but happiness for Andy Reid from my part. I mean, I'm happy for him that he got a ring and hopefully, you know, maybe he'll still have some more coaching years in him. Maybe he can get another one. Who knows if he stays with Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and before I let Nate talk on talk about him, uh, I know he's going to be real excited for that visit to the White House for that buffet. Oh, <laughs> well, hey, you know, Eric, Eric got it right. Eric said yes. last episode that that was the reason why he was the Chiefs were going to win. He wanted that buffet. Know, <laughs> that's, that's serious motivation right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate, what do you think about Reed's uh, coaching career now leading up to this moment? No, I'm I'm happy for him. I think he's a guy who's definitely, um, as long as I've been watching the NFL, he's been a guy who, like, definitely goes about things the right way. Seems like a really classy, um, good coach. And I think he's definitely been a Hall of Fame quality coach. Not, not saying that his resume would have gotten him in based on the voter standards, but I'm just saying – uh, as far as you know, going out and putting together teams that have won games and been successful, especially on the offensive side of the ball, all those years with Philadelphia, um, you look back at some of those teams with like McCoy and um, that whole era. Like, they had some really good. They didn't obviously win the big games, but they had some great teams back then. And then the past few years with the Chiefs, has been um, they've been lighting it up at least offensively. So I'm glad that he's finally got a ring to um, – I agree with Connor here. I think now he's got a ring, I think his resume is definitely Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, I think he – I personally think he deserved um, the Hall of Fame anyways, just based on um, his track record in the NFL. I think by all accounts, he's done a great job. Um, but, yeah, I'm happy to see him get one finally. And – I think he absolutely should be and will be a Hall of Famer now, uh, regardless of when he retires. Yeah, you know, there's definitely the possibility that he might stick around a couple more years, and who knows what uh, he can do with Mahomes getting even more experience now. Yeah. Uh, so now we have our only player from the losing team. I put him on the winner slide because he was, I think, going to be the MVP until the point of the Chiefs taking the lead back and winning. But Debo Samuel is the guy I've got here because he's only a rookie receiver. I mean, it's crazy that he had this much of an impact in a Super Bowl, let alone this whole season. I think he had a really underrated season because a lot of his stats don't look flashy because he doesn't, he gets the rushing stats, he gets the receiving stats. And then he also plays a huge part in their blocking scheme with all that outside zone so I think it, the future is really bright for Debo. I know Eric talked to me last night, and he said that's one guy on the 49ers that's going to have a continue to have a, a real impact in this league. So I've got him on the screen. I, I really do think he's going to end up being one. Of, this has been a good receiver class so far, but he's going to be for sure, I think, a top three receiver from this class. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to me why – in that game, you know, the 49ers went away from him. I mean, this mm-hmm. guy was, he was ripping off these big runs, like constantly on these end arounds. And, you know, it's, why would you go away from him? He's such a multi-purpose guy. 
I mean, and it, I will say it's very interesting. You don't see it very often when it comes to a receiver. Like you see all these running backs nowadays that can run the ball and catch the ball, like Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. Todd Gurley, Todd Gurley, and Le'Veon Bell. Like all these guys that are running and receiving backs, but you hardly ever see a wide receiver that is a running threat just as much as he is a catch threat. So, I mean, I I do see big things for him. I think in terms of the passing game, he could definitely use a better quarterback. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy G, is he's, he's, he's okay. I mean, he's a serviceable quarterback. And if they're going to keep doing those end arounds and they can keep getting the blocking for him, then, yeah. And, honestly, he could probably line up in the backfield. He's such a hard-nosed runner. Like, I didn't expect it when I saw him running because I haven't watched a lot of the 49ers this year since since I'm, you know, like mostly a Steelers fan, I watch a lot of AFC games. So I haven't really seen a lot of the 49ers and watching how angry and how mean he runs for a wide receiver. Like it's crazy. I, I never saw it coming. So yeah, I definitely see big things for Debo Samuel in the future. And um, who knows, maybe if things don't work out in San Francisco, he can go and do something somewhere else. But I can definitely see a Super Bowl ring or two in this guy's future. Yeah, I'd, I think Debo, we have a lot to look forward um, to with him as a player. I think he's shown a lot of great stuff so far, like especially with the versatility like Connor was saying. Um, not a whole lot of wide receivers who um, are used to run the ball like that. And I think that's something important that the Niners need to incorporate even more next year. Um, just because kind of, kind of, they've kind of shown us the blueprint, I guess, of, you know, what, a, what their offense looks like at its peak with getting all the running backs involved. And I think the chiefs came out and had a pretty solid game plan, um, against that kind of forced Jimmy G to try and throw more, which definitely got the offense kind of out of its rhythm. I think they need to incorporate Debo, um, uh, with more runs, more like jet sweeps and getting him the ball in space more next year to kind of uh, spice things up a little bit offensively. They can't, I think now that we've seen, um, Kansas didn't totally shut them down, but they definitely slowed them down enough to be not as effective. And I think uh, when teams can watch film and game plan for that rushing attack next year, they need to have something that um, is kind of like a spark that will add an extra wrinkle and extra little bit of, um, an extra layer to that offense so it mm-hmm. doesn't shift the uh, weight over to Jimmy G because I think he's a capable enough quarterback, but I think at certain points of the season, we've seen him struggle when the game's run on his shoulders. And I think it's definitely critical to keep guys like Debo and Mostert and some of those guys um, find new ways to get them involved to take the weight of the game off of Jimmy G. Yeah. So now the the final two I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of lump these together. So the NFL and Tom Brady I've got here as the winners, and I, I'm putting the NFL as the winners because I think they got a great game. They you know the Super Bowl wasn't a blowout or anything like that. It came down to the end, and also I think it's good for the NFL that the Chiefs won because you know Mahomes is like the face of the league now. So the face of the league just won a Super Bowl. I think the NFL is totally cool with that happening. You know, the Chiefs hadn't won in 50 years. They were in the first Super Bowl. Now it's, you know, the 100th season. They're in the Super Bowl 54 winning it. 
Uh, I think they would have liked the Packers to be as well, but um, <laughs> rematch. Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's what a lot of people would, were saying it was rigged for. But and then Brady, I've got down here too because you know he came out with this Instagram post a couple days before the Super Bowl, and it started to steal some of the attention away from the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, the majority of sports attention was on the Super Bowl, but still there was a significant portion of Twitter and the sports analysts talking about the meaning behind this tweet. So I think he won just for staying relevant. And Nate, I got to say, and Connor for your lock, it's not looking good in my opinion for him staying in New England because why would he do this if he was coming back to New England? Why make it a spectacle? You know, it seems like he's making it a spectacle to leave, not a spectacle to stay. But uh, I'll let you guys, I'll let Connor comment first on, on that. Well, Contrary to what you were saying about how it's not good for my lock, I actually think that he, like, not the like the spectacle and everything, but the what he said in that commercial, actually, I think is more proof that he's going to stay with New England. Because if you remember at the end of that commercial, he said he, he said I know what I'm doing, I'm not going anywhere, and it's like, is that a sign that he's given that like I'm not leaving New England, I'm staying right where I am. So, and I also have no you know, reason to think that New England wouldn't. Like, I just saw an article the other day. New England said they were willing to pay him $30 million to stay with the team. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you're getting offered that kind of money for the team that you've played for for over 20 seasons, why would you not come back? I mean, I think it's just kind of – I think Tom's just having fun. Like, he's this is the first time in his whole career that he's been a free agent, and he just wants to create, like, you know, like you said, just this spectacle – like, he wants to make it a game. He wants to, everybody, he wants the attention to be on him, which, like, I know that sound makes it sound like the Tom Brady is, like, you know, narcissistic and blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> it's like, you know, I think it, it's really, he does want it to be on him since this is such a big moment in his career. So I think I'm, st- I'm not going away from it. I'm still saying that he's going to go back to the Patriots. And then also, like, quickly on the NFL. Yeah, it was, I will say, it's way better than last year's Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my goodness, that was a snooze fest. <laughs> yeah. Completely. So really happy that we actually got a good game this year and I was able to, you know, enjoy. I mean, we got to see a comeback. How often, you know, there are times, like, Super Bowls will be close, but, you know, one team will still be ahead, like the Eagles-Patriots one. Like, mm-hmm. the Patriots came back, like, right at the end, but then the Eagles still won. So it was nice to see a team actually pull off the comeback, you know, kind of like the Patriots did in against Atlanta, because you don't see the teams pull off the comeback too often. So that, that was really nice to see. Um, I think with the whole Tom Brady situation, I think you would honestly put Hulu up there um, as a winner as well, just because they're the ones who <laughs> obviously did the ad. And yeah. I think in terms of um, – I don't know how much Brady got paid for this ad. I would assume it would be a lot because he doesn't have very many um, endorsements. So I think when he does do an endorsement, it's usually a big uh, deal for him. So I think he was definitely a winner financially as well. But I think for Hulu, uh, I was checking their Twitter account, and they have um, they posted the video of the ad, and they've got 6 million views on that video already. Uh, Tom Brady has 4 million on the same video posted to his account. So I think when these Super Bowl ads go, they go for like 5.7 million just for, you know, 30 seconds of ad time. So I think for Hulu, they definitely got their money's worth in terms of 
viewers and impressions and people are definitely talking about you know the hulu ad all day today on i'm sure like first take and all that i mean we're talking about it right here so i think um i don't think i would read too much into it as a statement of whether tom brady's going to stay in new england or go somewhere else but i would definitely say it's a big win uh for hulu getting the most of most out of their super bowl advertising dollars all right so we'll move on now and talk you know for every winner there's a loser so we got some losers here on the screen (laughs) exactly (laughs) so i'm gonna i'm gonna lump these two guys together so shanahan and lynch these guys really had awful weekends in uh, multiple categories because lynch i believe it was his seventh time being a hall of fame finalist and he didn't make the hall of fame and then obviously the general manager of the team that lost the Super Bowl. That's a double negative right there. And he also, I think he would have made a better coach, honestly, this game because he was the one wanting to call the timeout in the end of the first half. That's where Shanahan <laughs> messed up. That that's thing, Zach. <laughs> oh God, don't I don't want to waste too much time talking about that. But yeah, Shanahan <laughs> had another clock management goof like every coach seems to have. But this one was really big, and. Just his whole game plan in the fourth quarter. I didn't blame him for the Falcons Super Bowl loss because I I blame that more on Matt Ryan. But Shanahan's got to take the blame in this because they had they had to keep running, like you said, had to keep giving Debo the ball, even Mostert. But instead, they I feel like he tried to make Jimmy G the MVP and put it in his hands a little bit too much there when they really didn't need to do that. So. I've got oh and then also another reason for him is I think he got snubbed of the coach of the year award. Uh I know Connor and I were talking about this quite a bit when the awards were happening, but to me he was like a surefire lock to be coach of the year just because he took the second worst team in football to the second best team in football when you look at the final records at the end of the regular season. I mean that's a huge turnaround. I know we see huge turnarounds a lot, but that is pretty drastic. So I think he got second, but Harbaugh, I mean, they were a playoff team last year. They got so much better, but there's no way you can tell me that they got, they improved as much as the 49ers improved. So he got snubbed for that award. He had a bad game. So I guess the award makes it look a little bit better that he didn't get snubbed, but because <laughs> uh, if he had won, obviously it would have made it look worse. But, and then John Lynch with the hall of fame thing, another round for him not making it and then you know being a part of the 49ers bad weekend for these guys connor uh because yeah. you're probably gonna say the same thing but do you agree with me about the shanahan thing because would you have put shanahan coach of the year or do you agree it was harbaugh i actually agree with harbaugh i mean and this is coming uh, coming from a pittsburgh steelers fan i do agree with harbaugh being the coach of the year i mean i'm not going to go into it too deep since i know that's not the point of this episode but i mean Basically, I think I just have to look at it. I know the Ravens were a playoff team last year, but they certainly weren't the number one offense and like the number two defense last year. Like they still had a good defense, but to take that offense and make it the number one offense in the league, I think it just kind of cemented. And the fact like also at the beginning of the season, I think there was a lot more expectations for the 49ers than there were for the Ravens. Like I know during our previews, Eric and I had the 49ers in third. But you guys, I know you and Nate had them in second. And there was a lot of people that were, like, still talking about the 49ers, the 49ers, 49ers. When it came to the AFC North, all you heard was you heard Pittsburgh and all you and Cleveland. 
nobody was really talking about Baltimore. They were talking about Pittsburgh because, like, you know, okay, if they get everything together, they'll be the team. And also Cleveland has this, you know, super team now. We all saw how that worked out. <laughs> um, but I think it was – that was my reasoning behind it. It's like I, I don't think there was as much expectation on the Ravens as people thought there were going to be. Yes, a great turnaround, and Shanahan definitely deserved to be second. But I do agree with Harbaugh. Um, but, yeah, I have no idea why – the 49ers change their game plan in the fourth quarter. Like, you know, if you're going to formula that's working, you stick with it, you know, run game and defense. That's what the Broncos rode to the Super Bowl against the Panthers. You didn't see them changing it. You didn't see Peyton Manning start throwing the ball, you know, 15 times in a series because they knew what their formula was to beat the Panthers. They knew just give it to CJ Anderson, you know, give it uh, CJ Anderson and what the, whoever the other backup was, I can't remember his name, but you know, give it to those two guys and let Von Miller and Demarcus Ware in the no-fly zone go to work on defense, and you'll win this game. And, you know, they kept the defensive game plan perfect. I mean, it was brilliant on the 49ers' part that they never had to blitz Mahomes because my dad and I were talking about this before the game started. We were like, if they can get pressure on Mahomes with only four rushers, they're going to win this game because they don't need to blitz anybody and they can keep all those other really good linebackers and corners in coverage. So, But the offensive game plan, yeah, that was horrible in the fourth quarter. And lastly about Lynch, I mean, too bad for Lynch that he didn't make the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, I think if he ever does, it's going to be a really, really long time from now. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially next year, I was looking at who's going to be like coming into the Hall of Fame next year for the first time. Like You got Peyton Manning, obviously, coming in first time next year. You've got um, Calvin, John- yeah, Calvin Johnson coming in first time next year, which, you know, we don't really know if he's going to do it. Charles, yeah, like you said, Charles Woodson. So, unfortunately for Lynch, if he does ever get to get in, if he ever gets in, it's going to be way down the line. And, yeah, I clock management, too, last yeah. year. <laughs> horrible on both sides at the end of the first half. Yeah. Uh, Nate, I'll ask you this question. Do you think Shanahan blew this game? And then I'll also ask you because you were, you know, a Patriots fan. Do you think he blew the the Patriots Falcons game too? I think let's just second part first. I think okay. the Falcons one was absolutely on him. Um, obviously being a Pats fan, I'm not gonna take anything away from Brady and White and that crazy comeback they made. Um, it still took a huge you know, effort from those guys to make the win happen, obviously. But you can go back to the series in the third quarter when he threw the ball. He called three straight uh, pass plays um, from, I believe, their the, the, the Falcons were on the Patriots like 20, and he called like three straight pass plays end of the third quarter. They're up 28 points or 20, um, 23 points, sorry, 23 points already. And he called three straight pass plays. They got sacked, incomplete, and then like sacked again all the way back into. Or they took a holding penalty. I don't remember the exact series. Basically, yeah, like yeah. what it came down to is range. they lost yeah. like 25 yards of field position, went out of field goal range, and took like n- maybe like 20 seconds off the clock because mm-hmm. of the incomplete passes and stuff. So basically, like, for me, like that series cost the Falcons the game because if they if they were able to kick a field goal there, that lead could not have been um passed by the Patriots, at least not, you know, with the points they got um 
you know, they would have gotten after that. It would have been too much to overcome. So mm-hmm. I think, I mean, his decisions there, like, basically single-handedly cost them the game because if they convert at least a few goal there, they pretty much win. Um, going back to this game, it wasn't as egregious, but I think taking the foot off the gas and not running the ball when you're up 10 uh, is definitely not um, a great look as, you know, suppose like offensively minded head coach. I think he's got to be um, better, like situationally. Um, on top of that, the not like you said, not taking the timeout going into the halftime. That, that's something I was shaking my head at. You know, he took, mm-hmm. they let 30 seconds off the clock and, you know, going, all he had to do was go like 40 yards in yeah. a minute and 40. Like, that should be very easy to do if you're a Super Bowl, you know, caliber team. They could have gone and gotten a field goal, and it would have been a 13-point lead um, over the Chiefs going into the fourth quarter, which, you know, they still could have came back from that. But I, th- I think just like, for me, like, I just hate seeing coaches go conservative, especially in big games like that. I think if you want to win a Super Bowl, you've got to go for the throat at any opportunity you get. Like, you know, you only get that chance once. So I think, you know, you got to go try and score at halftime. You got to do what you do best, do what got you to this game, and that's run the ball. And they didn't really do either of those things, I think, you know, well enough to win that game. So I think that he definitely takes a lot of the blame, uh, at least in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly add on to what you yeah. about taking your foot off the gas. Like, a lot of coaches, they have to realize when the time is to take your foot off the gas. Like, only being up by 10 points, that's not the time to take your foot off the gas. Being up by, I mean, like, obviously this was extreme, but, like, being up 25 points to the um, New England Patriots, like, that was when they needed to take their foot off the gas, and they didn't. So mm. you have to know when the time is. Mm-hmm. And it seems like Shanahan just can't figure that out, like, when he needs to take his foot off the gas. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his, so it, it pains me to put him on this list here. But yeah, he I don't blame him as much for that first suit, the Falcons one because I think Matt Ryan was the MVP. He should have been better than that. He shouldn't have taken the sack. You can't blame that on Shanahan. But um, but yeah, it wasn't still not good these two Super Bowls for him. So we'll move on now to Tony Baselli, the first he was ranked the number one Jaguar of all time, but he did not make the Hall of Fame again for, I think, the fourth or fifth time in a row. So he was obviously looking forward to it. And, you know, a lot of people thought this would be the year since there were, the past couple of years there were so many first ballots, uh, no-brainers on the list. And this year was kind of the wide-open year. And there was another offensive lineman that got it, and he didn't. So it's starting to look like... Personally, you know, I, I might be pessimistic here, but I don't think he's going to get in anytime soon because, I mean, why? I mean, Sam Cavaris, the local sports guy in Jacksonville, he's the one who makes the case every year, I guess, to the voters. And I watched the video on that, and it was just so boring. You can see the voters, like, pretty much, like, sleeping in that presentation. He just <laughs> says all these, like, percentages and stuff. He doesn't have any emotion. He doesn't, like, say any stories of him like shutting down Bruce Smith in the playoffs or anything like that. So that to me, I think that's a huge problem for Tony. He's got to get a better representative in the hall of fame committee to push his case, but it's just sad for him. You know, I was really hoping he'd get in this year, but 
after this snub, I think it's I I'm definitely next year I'm not gonna come in with any expectations. I'll say that. Uh, Connor, I'll I'll ask, was he specifically in your top five? And then, uh, what do you think about? Well, you don't know Sam, so I'll I'll leave that for Nate. But I guess was, what do you think about Baselli? I mean, he was in my top five. I thought okay. this was going to be the year he was going to get in. Like, last year, I was a bit skeptical. I know you and Eric were both talking about, like, you know, you wanted him to get in. But last year, I was a little more skeptical. But, like, this year, like you said, this was – because last year, there were three for sure first ballot Hall of Famers last year. I mean, when you've got three first ballot Hall of Famers, mm-hmm. it's really hard for a guy like Basile to get. Whereas this year, going in, like, obviously, we knew Paul Amalu was going to get in. But when we looked at Reggie Wayne and Patrick Willis, we're like, well, they're not locks. And obviously, Patrick Willis completely wasn't a lock. I'm still <laughs> shocked about that. But um, And I, I didn't think Reggie Wayne was going to make it either because I knew, I mean, how long it took Isaac Bruce to get into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I was like, this, there's no way Reggie Wayne makes it on his first try. So, I mean, yeah, I thought he was top five along with, like I said, with uh, Paul Amalu, Isaac Bruce, and Atwater. That's like the top three. But I thought Baselli was fourth. You know, he and I, and it's a real shame for it. I don't know why the committee doesn't look as favorably on offensive linemen, because when it gets down to it, my dad and I were talking about this like it was a big key in the Super Bowl too. the mm-hmm. most important thing in football is blocking and tackling like are tied for first. But blocking is tied for first is one of, as the most important thing in football and nobody ever gives it any credit. I mean, and it's why I've always thought that, like, you know, Barry Sanders was a better running back than Emma Smith, even though Emma Smith had more yards. Because Emma Smith had a Hall of Fame offensive line in front of him. Barry Sanders Mm -hmm. didn't have that and still managed to put up huge numbers. So people severely underestimate how important and how good offensive linemen like Tony Baselli are. And it's just a shame for the Jaguars organization. I mean, you know, they're continue to be either the only team in the NFL that does not have a single Hall of Famer. Like, I know that, like, the Panthers and the Texans don't have any, like, I guess what you should say, primary entrance to the Hall of Fame. Like, there's players in the Hall of Fame that are tied to the organization. Like, Ed Reed is technically part of the Texans because he played for them a couple of seasons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the Jaguars don't even have anybody like that. So it's just unfortunate that they can a committee continues to snub the Jacksonville Jaguars of getting anybody in the hall of fame. And this year, more than ever, it was just like, wow. Especially when Baselli came out and said like that, he didn't make it. I was like, are you, I thought you were joking when you said that I was like, what? Like they already decided it, that he wasn't going to make it. Like I thought for sure he was going to make it. So yeah, it, it's just a shame and unfortunate. I don't, I don't understand it. If I was a voter, he would already be in. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm with you guys here. I I thought this year I could, did kind of get my hopes up that this year would be, finally be the year that he would get in. Um, like you were saying, the class was not a weak class, but there's definitely like spaces. I thought that you know they could have gotten him in this year. I think it definitely looks bad when you look at next year. You got um, like Peyton Manning, all those guys coming eligible. Um, they're obviously gonna be first ballot, so I think it will be a couple years now until he gets a shot. But I think. There's definitely a problem with the Hall of Fame voting. I don't know exactly who um, you know makes up the committee, but I agree with you guys. I don't think they value offensive line play enough, and I think part of it, to me, it almost makes them appear uneducated about football just because 
if you like watch, if you put on the tape and watch guys like Baselli, like he dominated for the few years that he actually was healthy and played for the Jags. He was probably the best of his position in the NFL, which it's like it's hard because there's no stats for O lineman to back it up. Like they can see a guy. Yeah, um, like the the stat for him, I think, is like he gave up one sack a year or something like that. Yeah. So he, uh, which is impressive, you know, but yeah, stat. So. Yeah, so it's like at least it was like who was a running back who only played eight years. Like maybe his numbers totally aren't, you know, up there with the greats. But you can look and see, oh, he had like a hundred and. 10 yards a game like that's crazy we're gonna get him in the hall of fame right now but with the o-lineman it's like hard because you'd have to put on the tape and see how he did and you can kind of see that with like hutchinson and finica too like they're also the best of their position you know at playing guard and they've been waiting for how many years to get in as well and they had arguably better um you know longevity and starts and all that than baselli did so i think it's just the overall one, the Hall of Fame doesn't value O'Lyman enough, and two, obviously he's getting um, a bad knock for only playing seven years, which was definitely out of his control. So he more mm-hmm. than deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but I think, unfortunately, I think it'll be at least three years till we see him get in, uh, possibly more with how many guys are about to become eligible from this past um, decade. Yeah. All right, we'll move on now to another unfortunate loser here, Eric Berry. He's the one in the Tennessee uniform. He was a longtime member of the Chiefs. Obviously, he battled cancer during his time with the Chiefs and a number of football-related injuries. So he, this was the year the Chiefs cut him. I guess his cap number is too high. This is like the opposite of Chad Henney. Like, Chad Henney should give his ring to Eric Berry because he did, <laughs> he did more for the Chiefs than, than Chad Henney did. And it's just sad to see someone who's so likable across the league. I mean, everybody liked Eric Berry. He was loved by everybody. He played at an extremely high level when he was on the field. So it's it's just sad that he wasn't a part of this. I would have liked to have seen him get the get a ring here. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to comment anything on that or not, but I mean, I would just put him as like, you know, there's some of these players in the league that are like in that category of like, you really wish you could just get them a ring somehow. I mean, I know like a lot of people have a problem with this. Like they're maybe not as much as there used to be, but there are some people that have a problem with him. But like Adrian Peterson, like I really like Adrian Peterson. I really wish he could get a ring somehow. And like, you know, there's a lot of people who like, you know, really like Philip Rivers and wish Philip Rivers could get a ring somehow. So I would definitely put Eric Berry in that category of, you know, how can we get this guy a ring? Like, and especially Barry is just so likable, came back from cancer and like still played at an all pro level. I mean, how often do you see that? So um, it's, yeah, it sucks for Eric Barry that this was the year. It seems like it always happens that way though, right? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you leave a team, they go and win the Super Bowl or something, or, you know, NBA championship or the World Series. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on the same page here. I definitely feel bad. Um, it, especially because you know one year uh, later, and if you could have hang on, oh, if you could have held on for one more year, um, he obviously would have had that ring. But he said recently that he wants to come back and play in 2020. Um, I don't know what kind of shape he's in, like any of that. If he'd even be of interest for teams to sign him, but uh, hopefully he can get picked up by one, you know, some kind of contender and maybe get a shot next year. Uh, yeah. I think he definitely more than deserves one. Yeah, so now I'm going to 
going to kind of lump these two Super Bowl experiences in. So <laughs> the commercials in the halftime show, I think it's more unanimous among the group that the commercials were bad again this year. Connor, mm-hmm. you said that they were better than last year's, right? I mean, there was a, I think like it, they started out slow, but got a little bit better towards the end. Yeah. Because you were, had them on mute by then, but they did get a little bit better towards the okay. end. Okay. I will say my one biggest gripe with the commercials though was, those two political ads that they showed like they had a donald trump ad and a mike bloomberg <laughs> ad and i oh was God, yeah, are yeah. <laughs> you kidding me like this is right. not the, i get the iowa caucuses are well today now since we're recording this but you know you don't need to be running bloomberg's not even a part of the iowa caucuses and trump <laughs> like there's no real republican primary going on so they're basically just like doing this to get at each other and it's like the super bowl is a time for everybody to come together have fun, like, you know, eat yeah. a lot of good food, watch sports, you know, just have a good time, not worry about politics and all this other stuff going on and, you know, all the mudslinging that politicians like to do these days. So I had a huge problem with that. And, like, I'm also kind of glad in a way that, like, both sides did it. So that way I'm not coming out, like, making it sound like one side is worse than the other. Because, like, I was really upset when I saw Trump did it. And I was like, man, like, really? Like, you know, I'm sure people come out and say, like, you know, the GOP, like, why are they doing this? But then the Democrats went and did it with Bloomberg. So it's like, you know, both sides are to blame here. Yeah, Nate. Yeah. And well, actually, Nate, I'll ask you about uh, real quick about the halftime show. You were, I think, out of everybody I talked to, I didn't really watch much of it, but you were the biggest supporter of it. So I guess explain that for me and then you can talk about your commercial opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I, I don't know. I really honestly enjoyed the halftime show. I think it's one of the better ones the NFL has done um, in recent memory just because I think they picked two performers and they kind of found their theme, like what they were trying to do when they stuck to it and did it really well, in my opinion. Like you saw last year they had um, Maroon 5 and Adam Levine, which are kind of a meh band. I don't really know anyone yeah. who's a big Maroon 5 fan, but then they switched over to – Travis Scott showed up, and then um, somebody else – I forgot who. Somebody else showed up for, like, a quick little snippet, and it was just all over the place, and I wasn't really a big fan of any of it. Whereas this one, like, I think it came in, and um, I'm not really a huge fan of either Shakira or J-Lo. They don't really make my, you know, type of music that I listen to regularly, but I think just their energy, like, you could tell they are having a good time, and I think they just put on a good show, especially with it being in Miami and the whole, like, you know – culture that they've got going on down there i think it was really fitting and i know like a lot of people were upset about like um there are people like comparing it to pornography and like all this stuff which i think is kind of you know too taking it too far (laughs) i know like some of the moves were a little bit you know pushing it there uh especially with some of those camera angles they had like i was kind of surprised the nfl um or whoever the broadcast you know had it set up like that (laughs) yeah there was a there was a crotch shot that i was surprised like (laughs) it was set up for that it was not the best look but to call it pornography and all that i think it's taking a little (laughs) bit too far like i don't know i I enjoyed it i'm not reading too much into any of that um i think they did a good job okay uh i'm gonna gloss over the cowboys here because i mean it's the super bowl week and quote-unquote America's team wasn't in it whoa but uh no but the reason they're on the losers I'm gonna say is because 
Dak Prescott is looking like he's heading towards the franchise tag, and franchise tag makes enemies, is what everybody always says. So he could be the next Kirk Cousins, and I think that's going to be the real key for Dallas next year is if he's playing on the franchise tag, that's a, you know, he's going to be, I think, pretty pissed off with the Cowboys, and that's never a good thing to have your quarterback, you know, trying to fight for his money. So I'll go now on to the what's next here for the Chiefs. So we kind of alluded earlier, what are you guys' predictions about Andy Reid? And then also the Chiefs is a dynasty. So I'll start with my prediction on Reid. I, I don't see him retiring. I know people have talked about it, but it, it just feel weird for him to retire now because he's got Mahomes and that's like his – you know, he he might not say it. You know, he might get, say McNabb has been his favorite quarterback because he was with him the longest. But Mahomes is certainly the best quarterback he's had. And this, I mean, they just won a Super Bowl. Like, why would you not want to try and do this again? But I guess he might have other interests that might persuade him from football. I'm not sure about that. And then as far as the Chiefs being a quote-unquote dynasty, I don't know. I mean, I think next year they have a legitimate shot to repeat as champions. But when once Patrick Mahomes gets like $50 million, this team's going to fall apart. And I don't think they're going to be in too many more Super Bowls in the future. So it's really your definition of dynasty. If they end up winning the Super Bowl next year, considering how hard that is to repeat as a champion, and if they have success i mean because even before this they were in an afc championship game so that'd be at least three years of making an afc championship game i would i would constitute that as being like a dynasty but we'll see i don't think this is going to be a long dynasty like a over a decade or anything like that because once mahomes gets that bag it's going to be it's going to be over for the salary cap for the rest of the team in my (laughs) opinion but what do you guys think you think reed retires and you think the chiefs are going to be a quote-unquote dynasty i'll start with you connor um i don't think andy re retires i mean i i definitely think it's the difference between because you know guys want to win the super bowl and they want to go out on top but it's the difference between if patrick mahomes was like an aging veteran mm-hmm. between you know then maybe i'd say yeah because okay you know he had his last hurrah he finally won the super bowl with him you know like maybe if he had won the super bowl with McNabb, like way back when then maybe he might have considered something but you know he was still kind of young but i'm just light comparison so but with Patrick Mahomes being so young yeah they definitely still have a chance to do it again and they can still have success so I don't see why he would retire while you're still at the top of your game I mean especially when you have a young quarterback and a young team but I do think you're right about the fact that as soon as Mahomes gets that money like it's gonna be all over because there's nobody with the way the league is right now at least for the foreseeable future I don't see any any quarterback especially being unselfish enough to do what Tom Brady does or has done in new England, where he's taken a pay cut to allow the Patriots because Brady cares more about winning than making money. So he takes that pay cut and allows the Patriots to put more resources into other parts of the team to, you know, get weapons around him or build a defense or whatever. But he takes that pay cut. Whereas nowadays it's all about, am I the highest paid quarterback or not? So, or the highest paid player, uh, you know, to add on. Yeah. That. And as soon as that happens again, like then the chiefs are, if they pay Patrick Mahomes that like, you know, $50 million contract a year or whatever, 
then they're not going to have money for Tyreek Hill. They're not going to have money for Chris Jones. They're not going to have money for Frank Clark. Like, it's basically going to be Patrick Mahomes and a bunch of nobodies on the team. So I definitely agree that as soon as they give Mahomes a contract, I think it's going to crumble. Because unless he's willing to be unselfish enough to take a little bit of a pay cut, which I don't think he will be, then it'll crumble for sure. I think personally, I think Andy Reid stays at least one or two more years because I think a lot of people are saying now he's got a Super Bowl, you know, on his resume, he'll retire, he can go on top, which um, obviously that will be a nice story. But I think if you're a guy like Andy Reid, if you're talented and like dedicated enough to get to the top of your like profession like this, I don't think, um, you know, necessarily meeting your goals like trying to like put this in the words like just because like you've kind of reached your goal like i don't think somebody who's you know had that whole like focus to get to that point is necessarily just gonna stop because he's made it that far it's kind of like belichick he's you know he could have he's done enough to have retired years ago and been a first ballot hall of famer but he's still you know obsessively like scouting already for next year so it's i think it's kind of the same thing with reed he's another great mind like that i think it's just being around the game and all that that drives him. So I would, I think especially with, you know, playing like with a guy like Mahomes, I think he'd like to see, you know, how far he can really take this offense. So I think he'll be around a couple more years, barring something like unforeseen. And as far as a dynasty, I think they've definitely got what it takes to contend for the Super Bowl. They're obviously the favorite next year. They can probably contend again the year after that. Um, like what you guys are saying at, Thing. I think if Mahomes does, if they do give him the huge, you know, mega extension in a couple of years, they're definitely not going to have the money to put a contending team around him. Um, I think once, and especially if they can't retain Hill, I think their offense dr- like drastically falls off because he's what really stretches. I mean, he's like a field stretcher that we really haven't seen in the NFL since Moss, I think, just in terms of that like unparalleled speed that really gives their offense, you know, the extra boost to be like the top offense in the league. So if they can't bring all the pieces back, I definitely think they fall off. And um, I think like the, the Patriots kind of redefine what a dynasty is, you know, with mm-hmm. yeah. that good for two whole decades. But I think if they win one more Super Bowl, Super Bowl or at least make it to one more, I think that definitely qualifies as a dynasty. You know, when you look at, in the grand scheme of things, like how many teams have actually done that? I mean, it's less than 10. So that's definitely still an insane accomplishment if they um, even make it to one more. So I would, I would call it a dynasty, but I don't think we're going to see 10 years of dominance yeah. from the Chiefs here. Okay, so now we're going to go to the 49ers and, and quickly talk about what's next for them. So two, two big points here. Is Jimmy G going to be the future still in San Francisco? I think for the most part he is but there's speculation that Brady could come in and they might cut him and it would be kind of weird you know both former New England quarterbacks going to San Francisco and stuff and one getting replaced for the other but and then also here I have a graphic and I know it's bad don't even pay attention to it but it's really mainly to talk about like the losers of the Super Bowl you saw it with the Rams last year we saw you know the Seahawks after they lost again to the to the Patriots, the Panthers, 
the Falcons still haven't made the playoffs since they lost. You know, the Eagles have made the playoffs, but they haven't made it back to an NFC championship game. So it, this is a real thing. And I'm going to tell you guys, you know, starting now, I'm not going to predict the San Francisco 49ers to win the NFC West next year. That's not going to be in my predictions because of this. Had they won this game, I would have predicted them to be in there. But it's just for whatever reason, that Super Bowl hangover, it seems to really have an effect these days. And the team just kind of falls apart the next season because they're still so demoralized from the Super Bowl loss. And this was a really demoralizing loss, too. It's not like they can say oh we, we they were the chiefs were just clearly the better team no they you know they're shanahan he couldn't sleep last night jimmy g probably couldn't sleep last night like they knew that they had this game in the palm of their hands and they couldn't get it done which makes it worse in my opinion so i i think jimmy g's still going to be in san francisco i think the 49ers are going to have a letdown next year connor what do you think so I'm actually going to take the opposite thing. I, I, mean, I do think Jimmy G is going to be the future, but I disagree about the 49ers uh, not winning the NFC West next year because I think in contrary to the Chiefs, I think the fight for the Chiefs in the AFC is just starting, whereas I think the fight is kind of dying down in the NFC because we've seen the last couple of seasons that the NFC has been a lot more competitive than the AFC. Like the AFC has pretty much been – you know, this year kind of broke the mold, which is why I think there's a change. But the AFC had been New England and Pittsburgh and, like, one other team every season for the past, like, five seasons before this one. So, and the NFC, you never knew who was going to win. But now I think that shift is starting to happen to where the AFC is going to become a lot more competitive because, yet, you know, Tennessee has questions at quarterback, but Tennessee seems to always be there in the mix. You'd never know about New England. I mean, if Bill Belichick sticks around, I will always give New England a shot. Buffalo is a young and up-and-coming team. Houston is a young and up-and-coming team. Baltimore is a young and up-and-coming team. All these teams that I think are going to be good. you know. And I think the Steelers are going to find a way to put it back together for a couple more seasons when they're going to have Ben Roethlisberger back and not playing a fourth-string quarterback. And you know, I just see a lot more competition for the Chiefs in the AFC, whereas in the NFC you have the Packers – once again, sorry, Kyle, the Packers should not have been there in the first place. I don't know. Like I said, the worst 13-3 and team I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles, they also probably shouldn't have been there this year. They're kind of falling off the map. The New Orleans Saints are going to have big questions next year, like at the quarterback position. You know, are they going to go with Taysom Hill if Drew Brees retires? Or are they going to try and bring Teddy Bridgewater back? Or is Drew Brees not going to retire and come back? Who knows? The Vikings, Kirk Cousins can never win the big game. I'm never giving them a chance. (laughs) So the only teams that I can really see, like I would still put Seattle in that category of a competitive team because they're still fairly young. And if they can put the pieces together, you know, and Russell Wilson's still going to be good for another few years. Um, But other than the Seahawks and like maybe the Rams, if they can somehow put back together, which I know those teams are all in the NFC West, but I just don't see any competition for the 49ers in the NFC. I think they're going to have a much easier path back to at least the NFC championship game. Maybe not the Super Bowl, but at least the conference championship game than the Chiefs will have. So I actually do see success for the 49ers in the future, and I probably will pick them. I know I picked them to finish third this year, and that looks stupid, but I also picked the Falcons to win the Super Bowl. So um, <laughs> I, at least I got I got Kansas City being the Super Bowl right, so I can yeah. I had that but 
yeah, I think San Francisco will be successful for, I don't know if they'll make it to another Super Bowl. I certainly don't know if they'll win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G, but I definitely think they're going to be more relevant than KC could end up being uh, in the future. I'm, I agree with Zach on this one for a slightly different reason. I don't know that I, I think the hangover has definitely been a thing in previous um, with previous Super Bowl teams. Um, so I definitely am not disagreeing with that. But I think the other reason that they might not be good next year is because I think when you lose a Super Bowl like that, it kind of you kind of get like the blueprint for being you. Um, kind of revealed, like we saw with the Rams last year. Um, oh, okay. Pat's came in totally like demolished their game plan and everything that made their offense so unstoppable, really, throughout the regular season and playoffs. They looked totally like mortal in that Super Bowl. And then we saw this year, um, the Rams, and part of that was they gave a lot of money to Jared Goff and Aaron Darn, Dar- or um, Aaron, Aaron Darn. Uh, you know, like, like, <laughs> want to say uh, Sam Darnold, um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, gave all the money to those guys, and they couldn't afford the other talent, obviously. But um, part of it was also that you know people figure out how to beat Jared Goff and show that he's really just kind of an average quarterback. Um, so I think the similar thing happened with the 49ers is the Chiefs came in and played a great game and showed how to uh, beat this team when you know by taking away the running game as much as possible, making Jimmy G throw. And I think, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more teams sell out against the run. I think Mostert is going to have a much more difficult time um, next year because teams are really going to sell out and make uh, Jimmy G earn it through the air, which I think will, that might be an up and down thing, but I definitely think um, my way too early prediction is that the Seahawks are going to take the NFC West next year. They were close. Uh, obviously this year, I think they'll go ahead and do it next year. And Niners won't be like a bottom, you know, seller team, but I, I definitely don't think they're um, going to contend next year like they did this year. Yeah. So thank you guys for listening to this. We recapped everything from the Super Bowl, all the winners, all the losers. In our next episode, we're going to have some sports trivia in a Jeopardy style game. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. Stay tuned for that. And, yeah, have a great rest of your day, guys. Bye. See ya. For Eric, peace.